open your Bibles to John chapter 12. We're going to be looking at John 12, 36 through 50, so the very last section of John chapter 12, that's on page 899 of the ESV Bibles. And we're coming to the, the close of that first half, that first section of John, the book of signs, as we close out this chapter. The ser- sermon series called uh, Just That Simple, and I, I think I heard in Roger's uh, update just a moment ago that, that the simple part, yes, that's coming to Christ. How, how do I get into this kingdom of light? It's by believing in Jesus. How, how often have we seen in the Gospel of John over and over again, believe Believe, believe. So we're going to continue to go through uh, John chapter 12, 36 through 50. Let me start at verse 36. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, Lord, Who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day, for I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has given him has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before your word this morning, we ask for the illuminating power of your Holy Spirit. We ask that you would help us to understand this portion of scripture, help us to to see what you would have us Uh, see and also um, believe what you would have us believe and then father also help us to to not simply have it go in one ear and out the other but help it to remain with us help your word to remain in our hearts and impact how we live father our goal is to be sanctified to be more and more made into the image of christ so we pray that through this ordinary means of the reading and proclamation of your word you will accomplish that so that's our prayer we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There is a military base, a U.S. military base in Okinawa, Japan. And every time a new group of uh, soldiers or, or airmen or, or sailors come in, they put them through a base orientation. And as part of that base orientation, they're, they're brought into a room and they're shown a slideshow. And the instructing officer 
says, there is a beach on the base and you're welcome to enjoy that on your time off, but do not swim out into the ocean. You're, you can stay in, that, in the shallows and, and enjoy the beach, beach and recreate and, and, and have fun, but do not swim out into the, the deep. There are dangerous riptides and currents that will pull you out to sea and you won't be able to make it back. It, and it's happened a lot. And to underscore his point, he has a slideshow. And he pulls up the slideshow and, and with a remote, uh, he will advance each, each slide. And so he pulls up the first one, click. And there's the picture of a soldier. And on the, on the left half of the screen is the soldier in their dress uniform with the flag behind them. It's that, that standard military photo. And then on the other half of the slide is the same soldier in the morgue on a stainless steel table. And all the instructor has to do is, is click, dead, click, dead, click, dead. And then he pauses and he says, do you see how these people look? Do you see how they're your age? Do you see how they, they look fit and strong? Click, dead, click, dead, click, dead. He said, as many times as I show this slideshow, there's always someone who thinks that my warning doesn't apply to them? Who thinks that it doesn't, it's not going to affect them like it does everyone else? That they're strong enough, or that they're, they're a good enough swimmer, or that they're, they're, they're just fit enough, that they're going to be able to, to swim out there without a problem. And he said, and then I add them to the slideshow. He closed by saying this. He says, this is real. This happens. Don't let it happen to you. In John chapter 12, 36 through 50, John talks about unbelief. He talks about how it led to God blinding and hardening the Jewish leaders so that they could not believe. It's called judicial hardening. It still happens. John talks about how some of the Jewish authorities were convinced that Jesus was the Christ, but they did not confess Jesus before men. They were afraid. They, they feared man more than they feared God. This is a failure to confess Christ publicly. This also still happens. And then the passage closes with Jesus stating that the word he has spoken will serve as a judge for those who do not believe on the last day. This will still happen. In fact, none of these things in this passage, as we close out the book of signs, none of these things in this passage are, are really positive. But in every instance, the takeaway is this. This is real. This still happens. Don't let it happen to you. Let's begin this section at 36 and 37. And this is the section we could call judicial hardening. So if you were here last week, we remember uh, Jesus was speaking to the crowds, the crowds who had come up to, to Jerusalem for the Passover feast, and he had corrected their wrong impression of who he was and what kind of kingdom he was, he was ruling. But he ended with a warning. He told them, while you have the light, believe in the light. Jesus is the light. He was saying, believe in me. While you still have time, take action, believe in me. But they didn't believe. 
And that's where we pick it up in verse 37. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So many signs, John says. Now we've been through this first half. We saw that John has recorded seven signs for us. He has arranged them in the book of John. But here he says there were so many signs. So many signs that John has not chosen to include in the Gospel of John. In fact, if we were to go to the very end, the very last verse in the, in the book of John, we read this, John 21, 25. Now there were also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the whole world itself could not t- contain the books that were written. So conventional wisdom tells us that one big sign, like the raising of Lazarus, that, that should be enough for people to believe in Jesus. One big unmistakable, high-profile sign. Two or three signs would be more than enough. Seven signs would be overkill. John says, so many signs. So many signs that are not included. Jesus was continually performing signs so much that if they were all written down, they would fill book after book after book. All kinds of evidence. The, the, the point is this. The evidence for Jesus being the Christ, for being who he claimed to be as the sent one from God, was overwhelming. It was overwhelming. And John recognizes this dissonance between this overwhelming evidence for Christ and the unbelieving Jewish leaders. He recognizes that that doesn't match up, and I'm going to explain to you why that is. And so he gives us this next section, verses 38 through 41. He starts off by telling us that we shouldn't be surprised because this type of unbelief had been prophesied. So what we're seeing here, says John, is a fulfillment of Isaiah 53. Lord, who had believed what he heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? That's this quote from Isaiah 53.1. Isaiah 53 is looking forward. It's a forward-looking Christological passage. It's talking about the servant of the Lord, the one who was wounded for our transgressions, the one who was crushed for our iniquities. So let's make sure we have that down. Isaiah 53 is talking about Jesus. Jesus is the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. Let's establish that. And that's confirmed for us in John in verse 41. It says, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. So Isaiah 53 is pointing forward, describing Jesus Christ, which means John is correctly applying this Old Testament verse to his present circumstances. So he's asking the question, who has believed our message that Jesus is the Christ? He adds, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? The arm of the Lord can be a reference to the power of God, Uh, In this context, it's referring to the signs that Jesus did through the power of God. Raising of Lazarus was a powerful sign by divine power. So if we put all that together, John is saying this. He's saying, who has believed the message from us that Jesus is the Christ? And who has believed in Jesus as he performs these signs through divine power? That's what he's asking. That's the question. And the answer is, not the unbelieving Jews. That's the answer. Not not the ones who have seen Jesus' so many signs that he just told us about. They saw them, but they did not believe. Therefore, verse 39, they could not 
believe. For, again, Isaiah said, and now we have a quote from Isaiah 6.10, he has blinded their eyes and darkened, or uh, blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Now, the original context of this is the, describing the people of God, the people in, in Judah, pre-exile. And John, again, rightly applies it to this unbelieving generation of Jews. The he is God. God is the one who blinded the eyes of the unbelieving Jews. God is the one who hardened the hearts of the unbelieving Jews so that they could not believe even in the face of this overwhelming evidence. Now, in order to properly understand this, because some people raise a hand of objection at this point, and they say, I, I don't know about that. That seems just too deterministic to me. God, God made it so they could not believe? I, I don't know if I like that at all. So let's, let's unpack this a little bit further. Let's look at the larger context, both in John and Isaiah. Let's start with Isaiah. Uh, that second quotation, he has blinded their eyes, that's from Isaiah 6. This is from, the Isaiah's, uh, from Isaiah's commissioning passage, when Isaiah is being called to deliver a message. And that message was <clears throat> excuse me, going to harden the vast majority of his, his listeners. God was going to blind their eyes, harden their hearts, so they could not repent and believe. But this is not done in a vacuum. Uh, let's, let's pull back a little bit from, from Isaiah 6.10. What, what were the previous five chapters of Isaiah about? If you start from Isaiah chapter 1, it's all about the wickedness of the people of Judah. This has been going on for years. They've not believed for a long time uh, the, the wickedness and the evil that had been committed before Isaiah was commissioned to bring the message, that was committed before God blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. They, they were already uh, covenant breakers with God. They were full of idolatry. Isaiah says, laden with iniquity from the sole of their foot to their head. So this was not done in a vacuum. They had persisted in ongoing rebellion and unbelief. And because of their unbelief and rejection of God, God caused them to remain in their unbelief. If we want to think of one really easy way to help kind of remember how this concept of judicial hardening works, it would be this. They would not believe, therefore God hardened them so they could not believe. Okay? They would not believe, they chose no way, I'm going to reject God, so now they could not believe. The would not believe happens and then the could not believe happens after that. So now let's look at the context of John. Yes, God blinded their eyes, hardened their hearts of the unbelieving Jews so that they could not believe. But this also was not done in a vacuum. If you've been here for the last several months, you've seen our journey through John. They didn't believe in him from the beginning. They didn't want to believe. They, they rejected Jesus as the Christ. The Jewish leaders were persisting in unbelief from day one, with a few exceptions. We've got Nicodemus, we've got some others. But for the most part, they were not believing for a long time. And because of their unbelief and rejection of God, God gave them over to their unbelief. In other words, same pattern. They would not believe, therefore God blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so that they could not believe. So the blinding and hardening is response to the ongoing unbelief. 
And we've seen this before. If you were here in chapter 10, we, we took a look at that when Jesus was, was having his last real discussion with the Jewish leaders. At that time, we called it a, a spiritual impasse. Do you remember that? Same thing. It's, it's also referred to as a judicial hardening. It's this blinding of eyes and hardening of hearts so that they could not believe in response to their ongoing unbelief. At that time, and I'm going to bring it in again because it's relative, this New Testament cross-reference, this is Hebrews 10. It says, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversary. So Isaiah 6, John 12, Hebrews 10, And other passages, they are all teaching the same thing. They're teaching that there is a point which God says, I am going to turn you over to your unbelief. I am going to give you a shove in the direction that you insist on going yourself. You you persist in not believing in in light of the fact that I've given you this overwhelming evidence. Okay, I I think we're done here then. That's it. I'm going to blind, I'm going to harden so that you cannot believe. This still happens. Judicial hardening, this this still happens. And this means that being aware of the gospel, being, being aware of the truth of Jesus Christ, being aware of the sent one from God, being aware that Jesus Christ is the antidote for our sin problem and not acting on it is extremely spiritually dangerous. It means the longer someone puts God off or the longer someone keeps God at arm's length or the longer someone refuses to believe, even with so much evidence, they run the risk of judicial hardening. Have you heard of prepping? You know what prepping is? Uh, Prepping uh, is done by people who are kind of preparing for Uh, the end of the world, or uh, nuclear apocalypse, or uh, the complete breakdown of society and law and order, and uh, it's preparing for some kind of large-scale disaster, and so they they gather large amounts of food and water, Uh, sometimes they buy generators, and uh, sometimes they get a go bag ready, or um, they they figure out their escape route from the city, or they, they build an underground bunker, I mean, this is big business in some places. And so part of the mindset is, I hope I, have, I hope I never need this, but it's good to know I have it just in case. And so, for example, they'll buy a large quantity of food with a 25-year shelf life, and they'll say, you know what, in case something happens 20 years from now, it's good to know that, that I've got this packet, and I can pour in hot water and have rehydrated lasagna. It's just good to know that I've got that in place. There is a temptation, especially if you think you have most of your life out in front of you, to treat the gospel of Jesus Christ like prepping supplies. It's possible for somebody to hear the message that Jesus loves them, that he died for them, that that he will uh, forgive their sin no matter how big or or how often they've been sinning, no matter how long they've stayed away from Christ. that as soon as they repent and believe, Jesus will forgive their sins and they will be declared righteous and they will be brought into the kingdom of God. And and that's all true. That's all true. But it's a possibility 
again, if they think they have their whole life ahead of them, to think that they can respond to that offer in a delayed manner. To think that after they've had the light, they can kind of put it off. So the response is kind of like something, okay, uh, yeah, no, I I get that. Um, That's good. That sounds great. I think I will take Jesus, but I think I'm going to put him on the shelf for right now. Because you see, I'm I'm still young and and pretty fit and in shape and, and I've got a lot of life ahead of me. And, you know, there's just a lot of things I want to do right now and a lot of things I want to experience and a lot of things I want to try. And I know that some of the things that I... I want to try or are not exactly permitted by God and they're, okay, they're sin and, and I guess my life right now isn't compatible with walking with Jesus. So what I'm going to do, I, I appreciate you telling me that and who knows, down the road, 5, 10, 20 years from now, maybe when things start to fall apart or when I see the end is near, maybe then I'll go to Jesus. And that's good to know because I want his offer of salvation to be just as fresh on that day as it is the day I put him on the shelf. The prepping approach can happen to unbelievers in general, but it usually happens to those that have their whole life in front of them. And it can even happen to children of believing parents. It can happen middle school, high school, college, young adults, if you're hearing this, don't buy that lie. Don't buy that lie. That lie has seduced many covenant children. That lie has seduced many people that have been raised in a Christian household and they get to the point where they say, yeah, I hear that, I get it, but I'm just going to put it off for a while. While I do my thing, I'll come back to that. That's what I see going around around me. I see everybody leaving the church once they graduate from high school. And then I see them coming back when they have families. That's that's my plan. Jesus will still be there for me on the shelf. You cannot put Jesus Christ off without consequences. Don't buy that lie. You you cannot delay your salvation until it's a, a more convenient time and expect not to have a cost In other words, Jesus will not be purposefully put on a shelf while you experiment with what it's like to live like an unbeliever for a time. Don't buy that lie. The longer someone has full knowledge of the gospel and understands what God has revealed about sin and salvation, the longer they intentionally persist in in not believing, the more they run the risk of judicial hardening. So students, young adults... If you want your salvation in Christ to be secure 5, 10, 20 years from now, don't put him on the shelf today. Believe. The takeaway is this. Judicial hardening still happens. Don't let it happen to you. Failing to confess Christ. This is the next section, 42 through 43. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. And at this point, if we're reading for the first time through the Gospel of John, we think, okay, great, finally some good news. Oh, I see what John's doing here. He's showing a contrast. First, he shows us that these unbelieving Jews were hardened and blinded and they could not believe, but now he's going to show us that that some did believe and they did have saving faith. Good, finally, some good news. But then we keep reading. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they loved 
the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And then all of a sudden our heart sinks. This is not saving faith. This is not a picture of regeneration. This is not someone who's been born again. Well, how do we know that? Earlier in John, he said that seeking the glory of man rather than seeking the glory of God is incompatible with genuine faith. Look at John 5.44. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? That doesn't work. If you're more in love with the world than with God, that's, that's not saving faith. In addition, the New Testament places, places a heavy emphasis on confessing Christ. Matthew 10, 32-33. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Romans 10, 9. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And then 1 John four fifteen. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. True saving faith always gives way to free, public, verbal confession of Jesus Christ. It always gives way to that confession from the heart in front of people. This is why we have people stand up and, and take vows. When, when we have uh, new members that we're receiving or people coming to Christ for the first time, yes, they, they make a profession of faith before their friends and family. They, they come before the elders, but they also stand up here publicly and profess their faith in Christ. They take vows publicly. It's because that is a component of genuine faith. It always gives way to public confession. Have you done that? Have you publicly, verbally confessed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? I remember when I was, a, I think, a high school student, maybe a young adult, and I was somewhere listening to a preacher that was not in my home church. It was somebody different. And I don't remember anything he said except one line. He said, Jesus Christ died publicly on the cross for you. Why would you not publicly profess your faith before others? And for some reason, that stuck, stuck, stuck with me. I thought, yeah, that, that makes sense. He endured the shame publicly in front of everyone, and I can't even profess my faith. I, I can't even uh, get over my fear of, of declaring my faith in Christ in front of others. Shame on me. Have you done that? When people ask you what you're doing over the weekend, how do you usually respond with that? You say, well, we've got errands to run, or I'm working on this project, or we've got a family get-together on Saturday, or, or do you go straight to, I am worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ on Sunday morning, 9.30. I am in church. That's the high point of my weekend. I'm, I'm going to church this weekend. Would you like to come with me? Do your co-workers know that you're a believer? There was a, a man who had been working at a, at a place for about a year, not that long, and someone came up to him, someone he kind of knew and worked with, but didn't know that well. They didn't hang out outside of work socially. But he came up to him and he said, hey, I got a Bible question for you. He said, yeah, sure, I'd be happy to help, but why, why are you coming to me? And he said, well, it's pretty obvious that, you know, you have faith and it's more than just Sunday morning. 
Can your coworkers say the same thing about you? Do you have a faith that, that, that just garners a reputation of, of somebody who's serious enough that it's more than just Sunday morning? Do people, do people know that about you? Are you professing your faith? True believers will confess Jesus Christ before men. The authorities did not confess Jesus Christ before men. They were afraid of man. They were afraid of being put out of the synagogue. They were afraid of the ridicule. Remember, being put out of the synagogue, we saw this with the man born blind. Um, this, is, this was a huge piece of leverage that the authorities had over everyone in, in Jerusalem. To be put out of the synagogue was the ultimate um, religious and community shunning. You were marked as outside the community, outside the faith. To be put out of the synagogue would be to, be to be stripped of any social standing. And they were afraid of that. No, this isn't saving faith. This looks like head belief, but not heart belief. This looks like they were intellectually convinced, but they weren't spiritually converted. This looks like they, they feared man more than they feared God. They loved man and the world more than they loved God. So no, this, this is not saving faith. They did not confess their faith. So a failure to confess their faith in Christ publicly. This still happens? Don't let it happen to you. The last section, judged by the word. This is really a summary uh, statement by Christ over everything he's said and taught in his public ministry. This really encapsulates everything. And because it's kind of a summary, we're going to do something. We're going to just kind of um, we're going to do some rock skipping, like a, like a rock skipping over the, the surface of a pond. We're going to hit the, 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 the introductory comments uh, rather lightly because we have covered them in depth, but we're going to get to that word judging part that needs some more explanation. So let's do some rock skipping. He says, whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. How many times in the book of John has he emphasized the inseparable connection between the Father and the Son? A lot. A lot. And he's doing it again here. He's saying, if you believe in me, you believe in the Father. And the converse is also true as well. If you reject me, you're rejecting the Father. He says, I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness, spiritual light, spiritual darkness, If anyone hears my word and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. And we know from earlier in John, he doesn't mean that he is not going to be doing any judging, because we're clearly told, John chapter 5, 22, the Father has given all judgment to the Son. He means, I'm not judging now. That's not what I'm coming to do right now. My my work right now is to save the world. I've got a specific Uh, agenda that the Father has given to me. I'm sticking to that. The judging will come later, but right now it's saving. And then he says this, the one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. So he's saying on, on that day, on the day of judgment, the words that he has spoken during his incarnate ministry are going to be judging people. The the words that he proclaimed and taught as he stood in the temple day after day, proclaiming and teaching, everything he said is going to act as a judge 
and a witness against those who persisted in unbelief. So the Jews who stood there and heard Jesus, who literally had the incarnate Son of God standing in front of them, telling them, giving them light and how they can be saved, and those who disbelieved him, those words are going to come back and haunt them later. No one who stood there and heard the words of Jesus Christ will be able to say on the day of judgment, I didn't know you wanted me to believe in Jesus. They won't be able to say that. They will be without excuse. Why will the words of Christ be enough to condemn someone? 49.50 For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak, and I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. So the reason Jesus' words are sufficient to act as judge on the last day are because Jesus' words are the words of God. Jesus' words are the words of the Father. And this judgment by the word of God is still going to happen. And the words of Christ still go forth today. Every time the Bible is read in public or in private, every time someone uh, proclaims the gospel or shares the, the word of God with someone or at, at work, at home, or in the, in the fellowship hall, every time a Sunday school teacher teaches a lesson from the, from the youngest uh, preschool student all the way up to the, the oldest adult, every time a preacher stands in the pulpit and faithfully proclaims the word of God, the word of God goes forth. And the word of God will serve as a judge and a witness against all unbelief. So on the day, anyone who has heard the words of Christ, no one's going to be able to deny that God has extended grace. No one's going to be able to to deny that God has shown them the way to have their sins forgiven. No one's going to be able to deny that God has given them sufficient light. He's told them what they must do. Believe in Jesus Christ. So this judgment by the word of God will still happen. Don't let it happen to you. With these words, Jesus closes his public ministry and, and teaching ministry. So this is, this is what he ends on. This, this is where he parks the car, is on this summary statement and being judged. But he also issues a call. So there's a call to believe, and there's a word of judgment. That's, that's how we're going to close. First, first, the warning. The sad reality is that there are still people today who can come to church, who can sit in a pew, who can hear a message, who can hear a sermon and and walk out in unbelief. That still happens. They get caught in the riptide of of worldly concerns. They they get pulled out into the the sea of uh, unbelief and and sin and and self-righteousness and they never make it back to Christ. It happens. It's real. Don't let it happen to you. And then the call to belief. God still calls people to saving faith through the power of the Holy Spirit. Praise God, this still happens. This isn't a, this isn't a one-way street. This is an eight-lane uh, north and south. I mean, yes, there, there is a possibility that, that those, and, and a reality of those that do not believe, but we've got this wide-open lane of God still calling people today. This still happens. People hear the Bible read, 
People take the word and open it up. People hear the word of God preached. People hear it communicated by friends or family. They're convicted of their sins. They repent and they start following Christ. Praise God. This still happens. And it will continue to happen until God gathers the full number of his elect into his church. This is the plan. This is the redemptive plan of God. He is working through his church and through his people, through ordinary means, through his word and the power of his spirit, and he is calling people to himself. If there's anyone here today that has not believed in Jesus Christ, or who has not confessed him publicly before men, or who has kept him at arm's length, or in their heart or in their head has kind of secretly thought, I think I'm going to put him off until later in my adult life. If there's anyone here like that today, believe right now. Believe in Jesus Christ. God has given you sufficient light. There, there is spiritual danger in putting it off. He has presented you with the truth of the gospel. He extends his grace to you today. The door is open today. Jesus Christ is the only one that has the perfect righteousness that God demands. We don't have it. You don't have it. I don't have it. Your mom doesn't have it. Your child doesn't have it. No one has it. From Adam till everyone here today, no one is able to achieve that perfect record of righteousness that God demands. Christ has it. He's the only source. And God promises when you repent and believe in Jesus Christ, that perfect righteousness of Christ is imputed or credited to you by faith. And on that basis, God can declare you righteous and admit you into the kingdom of God. And the blood of Christ pays for your sin. The sin that you have committed against an infinitely holy God demands the wrath of God. Jesus took the wrath for his people. The wrath of God for the sins of the elect was poured out on Christ on the cross. So when someone turns to Christ, they get the full record of righteousness imputed to them and they have their sins forgiven and paid for by the blood of Christ. There is no other way to be saved. Believing in Jesus Christ with saving faith still happens. Make sure it happens to you. Amen.